everybody. Great to uh, be together this morning and worship God together. Uh, we're doing a series right now called Breathing Room. And uh, before we get started on that, I just want to share some good news. We have a baptism today in the singles ministry. Eileen Abiato is, uh, where is she? Somewhere over here. Go ahead and stand up. Eileen's getting... She's getting baptized uh, today at 1215 uh, at Avenue C. Uh, welcome to the family. It's going to be great to have you. It's great to be together today. Uh, every time I watch that video, I get stressed out and reminded about all many areas I'm failing in. And, uh, but, uh, you know, that's not God's plan. God's plan is that we would have breathing room. God doesn't want to come in our lives just to make our lives easy, like the lazy boy chair or the cruise control that kind of a way, but he does want us to have margin, and he does want us to have peace in our life. And you say, Marco, have you figured it out? That's why I'm worshiping with you today. It's a life process of figuring it out, and we're all strong in one area or the other. But the uh, series is called Breathing Room, and Breathing Room is the distance between our current pace and our limits. We all have limits. So we're going to just do some uh, quick breathing exercises right here and just see how you feel. Okay, ready? They call these cleansing breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth. Don't be jerky about it. Be slow. Close your eyes. Okay, that one was a little forced. Let's do it more natural. Feeling a little better? We got two more. Ready? I know you think this is weird, but let's go for the last one. Deep as you can go. Slowly let it out. Okay, we can go home now. That was it. Don't you wish that's how you felt about money? No problem. Easy. And really, that's not how most of us feel about money. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, uh, Brian talked overall about God's plan for us to have breathing room, and we learn that life is better with breathing room. Right? And uh, Brian talked about the concept overall. It's on. It's not clicking. Brian talked about the concept overall, and then Steve talked about breathing room with time last week. Uh, today I'm going to talk about money, and uh, next week uh, Brian, I think, is going to be talking about relationships. Bro, better be good, man. But, um, you know, when you think about money, so much of how we view money comes from our upbringing. My father was born in 1924, so the Great Depression hit when he was five. His parents were immigrants from Italy, both of them. Dad owned a diner, five kids. And it was so bad that they did what's called reverse immigration. He sent his wife, my grandmother, and the five kids back to Italy because you could live there cheaper than here. And luckily he came back as a young teen before the war, otherwise he'd been fighting with the Italians instead of the Americans. Uh, but So my dad, I have a vision of my dad, he threw nothing away. He'd have, lawn, I called it the lawnmower graveyard, where he'd take a lawnmower that he bought for $80, the, the wheels would come off very quickly or it would break down, and then he'd just cover it with tarp. And we try to throw it away. He's like, what are you doing? We can you take the parts off. I don't think he ever took off one part. So he just had all these lawnmowers. You know, he, old pipes. Well, Dad, what are you doing? He goes, I can make a bike rack out of that. You know, I never saw the bike rack. But anyway, uh, 
you know, and then I had this vision when he would get paid. I'd say, Dad, where are you going? He'd say, I'm going to the bank. You know what he was going to buy, anybody? Savings bonds, which were very low return. Doubles in seven years, you know. But he would go buy his 50 or $200 of savings bonds week in, week out, because there was an insecurity in his life of not having enough. My mom was born 10 years later, 1934, and the Nazis invaded her country when she was five, 1939. She lost her father, and she walked to Belgium in, you know, in, in the streets with bicycle, baby carriage, came back. Her dad was taken away. She went through trash cans for food. She was in multiple orphanages. She was in a concentration camp, uh, came to the States, not speaking the language, and then put back in an orphanage. Um, when she was 14, all she wanted was a doll, which was a little old to want a doll, but she had never had one, and so that's, even to this day, she collects dolls. But you know, and you know, very frugal. And because of her frugality, she's been able to be very generous at 80 years old with 18 of her grandchildren or th that, that have needs and is very, very generous. But that's shaped me. And your parents, or if you only had a mom or just a dad, that's shaped you, whether you realize it or not, on how you view money. And there's a good part to that and there's a bad part to that for everybody. But it's more important that we let God shape our thinking as it relates to money. Not the consumer mentality, not living in southern LA, or you know, the beach area of LA, southern California, but that we let God shape our view. You know, the leading cause of divorce, one of the leading causes of divorce is money. And one of the leading predictors of somebody getting divorced is that they're always arguing about money. And I don't know about you, but if the, you know, if the relationship with God is our most important relationship, and our, the relationship with our spouse is our second most important relationship, then I think if money affects our relationship with our most important human relationship, then money's gonna affect our relationship with our, with our maker, God. How we view it, how we manage it, how we deal with it, and God wants us to have a breathing room today. You know, whether you're a teenager and you have no money or no, earn, no way to earn money or preteen, someday you will have money. And it's not how, you, well, how much you make, but it's how you manage it. Whether you're married or single, money affects your life. And how our relationship is with money, which is neutral, by the way, money is neutral, People always misquote the scripture that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. They say money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is paper. It's nothing. It's neutral. It's not good or bad. It's how it's used, how it's managed, how it controls us, or how we control it. But money is not good or bad. It's our relationship with it, and that affects our relationship with God. You know, uh, there's a, um, is this battery dead maybe? It's, I'm turning it, but. Money affects our relationship with God. And can you put the next slide in? There's a, a guy one year ago in Teller County, Colorado. Uh, his name is Earl Ray Jones. Not anybody famous. Not related to the famous there. And he had been married for 25 years. And him and his spouse were always fighting about money. And they had one big financial spat. And it got physical. And he assaulted her. And she got a restraining order. And, she, and the judge ordered him to pay... He was a retired, or close to being retired defense contractor. 
The judge ordered him to pay $3,000 a month. He said, forget it in his heart, not to the judge. And so then he went and he got, tried to take out all the money and so his wife wouldn't get any. And uh, he had a hard time getting out, so he had it transferred into gold and he took out his whole retirement, $500,000, had it uh, um, transferred into gold, took out 22 pounds of gold. And then he says he hid it in a trash can um, outside a motel. And the problem is the trash people came. And there is the landfill. There's the owner of the landfill, the guy, that, the form, lead foreman of the landfill, wondering where is that $500,000 uh, gold pieces that are somewhere in that landfill because, you know, 30,000 tons of trash comes in every day and then it gets dirt gets put over it and another layer in dirt. So it's somewhere in that landfill. And he's like, oh, she's not getting any now. I may not be getting any either, but she's not either. I mean, money can take you to some really bad places. You know, I have this uh, next slide. Uh, the Psalms, there's many Psalms in the Bible. I call this the prayer of the desperate. That's, oh my God, is like she's praying. Oh my God, help me. Have you ever felt that opening your bills? Or should I say getting a moving violation? It used to be like $45 and now it's 410. If you go through a stop sign, not including traffic school or stoplight or. But you know, this is the prayer of the desperate. Oh my God, help me. And we can feel like that at time. Maybe it's the Psalm of the overextended or the psalm of those that are financially choking or shocked. And yet, you know, I want to help you realize something today. Two main things I want you to take away. You can raise your standard of living. You can't make more time, but you can raise your standard of living with debt. But you can raise your quality of life with discipline. You can raise your standard of living with debt. You can raise your quality of life with discipline. Which would you like to be known by more? That person's very disciplined as it relates to money. That person's always in debt. Which does God want us to have more? A better standard of living or a better quality of life? And you can't say, I want a better quality of life, so I'll just have debt and then say, now my life is better. Maybe for the moment, but then you have lots and lots and lots and lots of stress. Is it working? No? Okay, We're not, we have no... Uh... You know, today I want to share with you just a few verses. Uh, one is from the wisest man that's ever walked the earth named Jesus. And the second would be from maybe the second wisest man named Solomon in the Old Testament. And the interesting thing about Solomon is God, it says, gave him incredible divine wisdom. People came from all over the world to listen to this man, to see his wealth, to see his accomplishments, and to um, hear his wisdom. And so this guy had a lot of wisdom. And yet, even with all that wisdom, he sought more money. And it was a downfall in a lot of ways to other sins. But he did give us some good Advice. Proverbs 21, verse 20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Stores means some left over. 
In modern day vernacular, it would be savings, extra. In the house, it doesn't say in the house of the rich, there are stores extra of food and oil. It doesn't say in the house of the poor. It says in the house of what? So God is asking us today, do you want my wisdom? Because with my wisdom, there's breathing room. Not having my wisdom, there's no breathing room when it comes to finances. Let's not be the foolish man that de devours all we have. You know, if you're visiting today, we're not asking you, asking something from you today as it relates to money. We have something for you today. God's wisdom. And you can take it or leave it. Some of us that are Christians, we take it or leave it, unfortunately. But God's wisdom is so profound that even one of the wisest men, like he was even giving even good advice, didn't take all of his advice. You know, you can borrow to live beyond your means. To create breathing room financially for a moment. But if there's a relationship, if you have a relationship with God, this issue of financial breathing room doesn't relate to you just having more of a deep cleansing breath when it comes to finances in your life. It really affects your relationship with God. Think about this. Why does a couple fight about finances? Because she wants to buy this and he doesn't. Because he wants to buy this and she doesn't. Because she bought this and they never talked about it. And he doesn't want to spend money on anything. She wants to spend money on everything. She doesn't want to spend money on nothing. She, he wants to spend money on everything. She thinks what he buys is stupid. She, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, it's like they're connected. One moves, the other moves. One moves, the other moves when it relates to finances. It's the same thing with God. That same stress that takes place in a, in a marriage over finances. Hey, this affects me. Now I'm stressed. I can't do anything extra. I got to work more. I've got to do this. I can't do that. I'm not sleeping. Well, how about our availability then for God? Well, I can't. I got to work Saturday now. I can't because I have to do this. I can't because it affects our relationship with God. How about our prayer life? We go out to pray to God and our mind is so cobwebbed with anxiety that we can't even really get to the real issues. And it kind of follows us around. God wants us to have breathing room when it comes to finances. Life is better with breathing room. Look at this passage he says here in Ecclesiastes 5. Solomon says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And he says, as a very wealthy man, he says, this too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they? To the owner, except to feast his eyes on them. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. You know, what a great scripture to remind us that there is no place that if I made this much money, then I'd be happier. My quality of life would increase. In fact, if you want to just Google... Uh, there, there's all kinds of studies of people that make a certain level of money, no more happiness, no more happiness, no more happiness. In fact, it, it's inverse. You say, well, I haven't reached that yet. And when I do, I'll know it. And I'll stop myself because I'm disciplined and I believe what God says. So I'm not going to love money enough, but I do need a little more. He's just saying that if that's the route you're going on, 
you will be not only sorely disappointed, you will be weighed down. And you'll be choked. There's a big difference between our standard of living and our quality of life. You know, we see about 600 to 625 ads a day between the internet, our phone, the billboard, uh, at the grocery store, on the shopping cart. I mean, just think about it. On the radio, on someone's t-shirt that's walking by, and a bumper sticker in front of you. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just everywhere. Sing, buy me. You need it. I love Costco because they have some really good deals on some unique items. I don't like Costco because I buy stuff I shouldn't have. Like, wow, hot dog bun warmer. <laughs> I don't even eat hot dogs. But I have, I, as I recall, the steaming buns of a Chicago hot dog, they put it all together. And as I'm a man of hospitality, it would be nice to be able to have a six hot, six hot dog bun warmer that not only steams but toasts. Do you know what I mean? You're kind of like, you start looking at it, and then you start texting your, Michelle, hey, what do you think about the hot dog bun? You know what I mean? It's true. Advertisers are constantly telling you. You ever bought a new car and find out it was the last year's model? You know, they came out with a new model. I bought my first new car in 2002. In November of 2002, I was so excited. You know, had this minivan that I still have it today. And, uh, and I'm driving. I loved it. It's November. And then, uh, like January, there was a new model that looked so much better. And suddenly I'm like, I'm looking in the window at you know, people's car. Like, what'd they put in there? Wow, I need a stick. Sh I need my shift in the middle, not on the side. What do you mean the windows go down? What do you mean they fold? Well, I should have waited. You know, but it's never ending. It's never ending. Second thing I want us to realize today, creating breathing, creating breathing room may lower your standard of living. Let me repeat that. Creating breathing room may, probably, most likely, you can probably count on it, lower your standard of living. But it will raise your quality of life. It will raise your quality of life. See, a lot of people think, if I raise my standard of living, I will enjoy my quality of life. If I eat out here, I will be better. And later you go, you, when you get the credit card bill, you know they come every 20-something uh, days. The, the bill, the credit card bill. And they let you have it for free as long as you pay it back within those 21 days. Then after that they say, take your time. Won't bother us. In fact, we'd, we, we'd appreciate it if you took your time. That's how we make a lot of money. But then you look at it and you go, what happened? Well, if you eat out for lunch every day at work, anybody know how much that adds up to? If you work five days a week and you don't call in sick much, there's 20 days in a month, you could spend easily $10 on lunch if you buy a drink, right? So how much is that? 200 bucks a month. If you bring your food from home in a little pail, lunch pail, lunch box, bento box, Whatever it is, it's an incredible difference. And when you get that bill and you're looking, you say, but I have to eat out. You know, if you take a family of five to a movie, it's like, hold it, right there. <laughs> and if you go to the popcorn stand, it's against the wall. I mean, it's, 
you're walking out of there like in the $80 range. And then you go, the whole time you're like, the movie was terrible too. I got robbed twice. Come on. Who pays $3 for a soda that small? It's not the airport. I mean, you're just, you're just sweating. But in the moment, you say, if I raise my standard of living with my car, I will raise my quality of life. If I get a 200 more square feet, well, then you're going to also have to furnish that 200 square feet. And if I get more toys, more vacations, more stuff, I will enjoy life more. Really? Is that how it works? For how long? Until the stress sets in. And yeah, you've raised your standard of living, but you're anxious and you're worried and you're choking because your quality of life isn't much better. You don't remember that vacation, but you remember the money that's still rolling on the credit card. You don't remember even that restaurant experience, but that $111 is still on the credit card rolling. I'm just saying that if you want if, to create breathing room, it may lower your standard of living, but it will absolutely increase your quality of life. You know, the Bible teaches in one of the Psalms that God says, my boundary lines have fallen where? Pleasant places. Where God says, I put some boundaries, some limits on you that actually promotes and provides space. But we've got to follow God's boundaries if, we're going to, if they're going to fall for us in pleasant places. If we push those boundaries and more, are more humanistic with them, they will not fall in pleasant places. They'll fall, but you won't have breathing room, and then it consumes every part of your life. Do you know the average credit card debt right now for homes that have credit card debt is $15,607? If you just say, average it out to everybody that doesn't have credit card debt, it's about, I think, $7,000-something a household. But the average person that has credit card debt your neighbor, because it's not you, but your neighbor has $15,000 of credit card debt. And you know they're not paying that off every month. You know the student loans now, the average person that was a student, $32,000 in student loans. You go, that's nothing compared to mine. I'm just saying, that's average. And the, the student loan debt now, which you can't default on, has passed the one, with the T, trillion dollar mark. One point, almost two trillion dollars in student loan debt. Um, that you can't say, well, I'm just going to declare bankruptcy and government doesn't let you. You're on the hook for your whole life. You can raise your standard of living with debt, but you can raise your quality of life with discipline. There's a big difference between standard of living and quality of life. So here's three facts about your money that are stupid simple. I'm not calling you stupid. I'm just saying I'm stupid to even tell you this. Number one, you live right now on a percentage of your income. Did you know that? You live on a percentage of your income. You say, yeah, all of it. No. You live on a percentage of it. So you live, the saying is, beneath your means, or at your means, or beyond what? But you live on a percentage of your income. And because we live in California, and so does 37,999,000 other people, uh, cost of living here is high, and cost of housing is really high compared to most of the country. So with that, it decreases your 
percentage left over for everything else. And if you're a Christian and you give first to the Lord, there's another nice chunk right there. But we live right now on a percentage of our income. We should know what it is and figure it out. Secondly, here's another fact. You, there's a feeling in all of us, if I just had a little bit more, I'd be fine. If I just had a little bit more money, I'd be fine. But the reality is, you felt that same way, third fact about your money, you felt that same way 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 15 years ago, where you thought, if I just had a little bit more money, I'd be what? Fine. And the reality is, you have a little bit more money, and you realize, I'm still not fine. Because often when we get more, you walk into Costco and they've got those flat screens, and I'm telling you, they get thinner by the month. I mean, you walk in there and you're like, oh my gosh. Is that virtual TV? Is that like projected? Is that paper? I mean, I need it thinner. Look at the beveled edges. Is that LCD plasma wrapped in? I mean, you just kind of get sucked into it. Ooh. And many of us don't even watch a lot of TV. You know what I mean? But we think, if I had more, I'd be fine. It's not how much we make, it's how much we spend. And I want to ask us, where is the lordship of Jesus when it comes to our money? Here's a little chart right here. And I know this isn't a case for everybody, but if it was, you know, as you get, you know, uh, as you start out right now, minimum wage is $9. And hopefully, you know, over the years, if you do a good job on your job, your income will go up. You go, mine's not that high. Well, there's no numbers, so it could be a $100 increase, okay? You go, and maybe some of us are like, woo, you know, flat. I, I don't know. That's between you and God and your job and whatever. But that over life, you're typically not making at 50 what you did when you were 16. I told my kids, you know, Gina's looking at getting her first job when she turned 16. I said, Gina, I, I, did, I went there. I said, when I was 14, I had my first legal job. Uh, you know, I sold all kinds of stuff, but fireworks and stuff, you know, lemonade, golf ball, whatever. I said, I made $2.65 an hour. Yeah, you know. But anyway, you know, but over time, right, inflation, it goes up. Well, our spending, right, doesn't have to go on the same line. And the area in between the two, between the income and the spending, is called what? Breathing room. Remember the four breaths at the beginning? How, how big is your space? I'm not talking about, I've got tons and tons of savings. I'm just saying, how big is your space? Between the spending and the income, you decide that space, but that's area that's called the breathing room, that margin that God wants us to have. A lot of us, this is how it is. Things are kind of tight, Marco. Woo! Not too much breathing room here. <laughs> You know when you kind of get a little, shirts get a little small? As soon as this wedding's over, you're like, honey, hold on. <laughs> Feeling better now. But you know, a lot of us, this is how we live. You know, we're just kind of, how's it going? Pretty good. 
a little tight right now, but just kind of feel a little uptight. Kinda, you can use a little love right here. That's not how God wants us to live. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 6, and then we're going to watch an instructional video that will blow your mind. I'm telling you, seriously, you pay attention, it's two minutes, you will have more money. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4. Look at how Solomon says. He says, again, I saw that all labor and achievement springs from a man's envy of his neighbor. Sit with that for just a second. I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from, the man, from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hands. Oh, oh well. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, whatever. And he ruins himself. Better one handful. This is Old Testament right here. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. One handful, two handfuls. Right there, one handful, a little tight, two handfuls. Or the other way around. Better one handful, he says, where you have some breathing room, or two handfuls. We've got to decide how we want to live. You know, Jesus had this to say about money. He talked a lot about being choked. And this is how a lot of us can live. You say, well, in 2008, when the economy hit, that's when things went down. Let's be honest. Many of us, we've been living undisciplined with money long before 2008 or 2007. Yes, the economy's been rough. Yes, jobs have been rough. Yes, wages have been rough. It's all in the news. It's facts. But many of us have lived way beyond our means for a long time. And so when then that came, it just made it worse. But God doesn't want our spending to be above. Watch oh, this video. I just can't get these numbers to add up. It's like we're never going to get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. Oh, let me see that. If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I'll tell you where and how in Chapter 3. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. Now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. 
I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? <laughs> no. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. <laughs> the advice is priceless and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. So get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive Seriously. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. Did I not tell you? Profound. I liked it when he said, huh? Wait a minute. Don't buy stuff you can't afford? Huh? Really? I'm confused. But we can think the same way because of uh, people around us. Jesus had this to say, and we'll look at one other verse here as we close out, or two other verses. He says, seed, talking about the Bible, spiritual life. He says, still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth. You say, but I thought wealth wasn't, it was neutral. So wealth is deceitful? No. We're the ones that get deceived. Wealth is not good or bad. It's us assigning value thinking, if I have more and I raise my quality of life, then inversely, my or at the same time, my standard of living will go way up. And I'll enjoy my quality of life and it'll all work well together. You can raise your standard of living, but reality is, in a very short time, you lower and lower your quality of life. He says that the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things, they come into our lives and they choke the word of God, making it unfruitful. Isn't there nothing more frustrating than feeling like you're doing something that's not working or that's futile or that doesn't count for anything? And so here you have the powerful words of God but they're not bearing fruit in your life because you're so stressed. I can't, I, I have to miss Bible talk. I have to miss Wednesdays because I have to work. I can't give to the Lord because I got this and this and this and this. But as soon as I, you know, I've been a Christian 26 years. Do you know how many people have told me that? The as soon as I, then I'll start giving. You kind of catch up with them three years later. How'd that work out? It hasn't yet, but as soon as I, when that's not even a biblical principle. The Bible says, give first to the Lord, adjust your lifestyle as such, and then watch what God does in your life. Thorns amongst the flowers. They're pretty flowers, but you can't get in there and nurture them and nourish them and water them very well or enjoy them because they're caught up with all these thorns. And those thorns are living with no breathing room. Choked by not choked by the word, not choked by Jesus and the lordship and the commitment that he calls, but choked by decisions we make to raise our standard of living, thinking it's going to raise our quality of life. Nobody on their deathbed says to their grandson, their daughter, their wife, move the table or roll my bed by the window. Why? My car's over there. Yeah, it doesn't happen. Bring the album of all my stuff. I just want to flip through it one more time. 
No, all that you care about is seeing God, being ready to meet God, and your loved ones, and how you're leaving them. The Bible says, Solomon said this, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant or slave to the lender. We need to stop being slaves to the credit card company, stop being slaves to the mortgage company, stop being slaves to the financial companies that you buy your car. Not that any of those things are bad, but when they're beyond any breathing room, they kill us spiritually. They kill our desire. How many people have you invited to church and said, man, yeah, I'd love to, but I work every Sunday, every Wednesday, Tuesday. I have two jobs, three jobs, one part-time. I got this, I got... We have to stop being slaves to the lender. God wants us to have breathing room. You know, um, you think about it, this saying, I want is better than I owe. Let's just say that together. I want is better than I owe. Let's say it together. I want is better than I owe. I'd like a new car right now. You know, I just had the transmission rebuilt for the second time on the van. It's probably getting close. But one in high school and we'll wait. My plan, two and a half more years, I can live. You know, things are falling apart. And I did look at a couple of vans, you know, driving by and go, that'd be nice. Seats still fold into the floor. Just roll my bike right in the back. But I want, it's okay. But it's better than I owe. I can't afford it. You might be able to, I can't. And I think we're all going to have temptations. We're all going to have desires. They're not all evil. I want is better than I owe. And we've got to be careful to not be chained to our possessions. Jesus said this at the end of a parable. He said, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't make Jesus Lord and money Lord at the same time. You can't make Jesus master and money master at the same time. You go, yeah, I'm doing it right now. No, you you can't. So if you are, it's becoming first above Jesus. And there's this constant tug of war and worry. We can't have both. God and money, serving both. Money tells us, I can't do this, I can't do that, I have to do this, I have to do that. We're a slave to it. It, it. Like the marriage concept, it moves with us if we're not mastering it. So let me give you a few practicals here to take away uh, that are very, very simple, okay? These are stupid simple too for me. One, decide. How do you, what are steps to having margin, having breathing room? One, decide. Make a decision. I am going to develop breathing room in my life. This purchase can wait till next year. This purchase, I say to my kids a lot of times, is it a want or a need? Well, I want, I need to want it. I want to need it. I, you know, and I say to myself a lot of times, boy, I'd like some new bike shoes, but these are still working. And, and in a lot of things, we got to decide to have margin. Two, create a breathing room goal. Hey, I want to get to this point and then to this point and to this point of having margin. Maybe at first the breathing room line between saving and 
between spending and income. Maybe you can't even see, the, you can't even color it in. It's just a crack, but it's a start. And then widens a little bit more and a little bit more. Another practical, spy on your money for two months. This one challenged me because I'm very disciplined with our finances in a lot of ways and save and plan and different things. But it's the month in, month out that I can 20 here and 30 here and 30 here and 20 here and 30 here and 20 here and 10 here and 30 here and 20 here. Too much, an extra couple hundred on groceries that I didn't plan for. Do you know what I'm saying? And before I know it, how much does that add up to? $1,000. Easy. $400. $1,500. Just 20 here and 30 there and 100 here and 101 there. Small. It adds up. And I, I need to do a better job of managing the month to month, the minutia. I kind of don't like it. I'm disciplined and I save and I'm try to be frugal and this and that, but that one area I know I can do so much better and having more breathing room on the month-to-month -month basis. Four, cut spending. You see, I have nothing left to cut. You don't know until you spy on your spending and see what you're spending on. There's always something to cut. And number five, develop a debt retirement plan. This year I'm going to come down 2,000. Next year it's going to be 4,000. Next year it's going to be 4,000. Next year it'll be 6,000. Get a plan to get out of debt. You say, well, I'm already out of debt. Well, then... Take one other person under your wing and help them get out of debt. Let me give you a freebie that's not on the, on the notes. I read something in a book that really helped me years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago. It's called The Freedom Account. You know every month, you know every year you're going to have to pay car insurance if you drive, car registration, car repairs. For your kids, there's teen camp. I mean, there's all these things, and I know we've talked about it. We've handed out different things to plan. But if you create a savings account... And you have it automatically drafted out of your account. You add up all those categories to your best of your guessing ability in some. You don't know how much your car repair is going to be. But you take that category and you have, let's say it adds up to $1,300. Mine adds up to about $1,200 or $1,300 a month of all those things that I know are coming. And I have it drafted out every two weeks, $600 and something dollars into that savings account. Then I take the Excel spreadsheet and I make these invisible savings accounts to me. So car repairs has $1,100 in it. I don't know what it has but I'm, right now. But, you know, kids' activities, $220. That one always, and that account just does this. You'd hope it would do this, but it doesn't because all those things you're going to have to spend money on. What kills us is when we don't have any margin and then suddenly we need brakes on both cars. And you see that woman's face. Oh, my God. You know, we just, help me. But when you budget just a little bit, you go, but my brakes are fine right now. My car's not broken. I don't need it right now. That's a lot of money. You, but you'll need it, and your life has a, doesn't have to do this. And your emotions don't have to do this. And your anxiety doesn't have to do this. That freedom account just empties and fills, empties and fills. But it's disciplining yourself to have some margin on things that you know are coming. Let's close right here. You can raise your standard of living with debt. You can raise your quality of life with discipline. Let's raise the quality of our lives. And secondly, creating breathing room may lower your standard of living in the short run or for the rest of your life, but it absolutely will raise your quality of life. Let's create breathing room with our money. Oh, sorry.